morning. You've ever had a um, colleague go on vacation for a week or two, uh, you know that you pick up all the slack. So I just want to say thank you to Mike and Tyler who have been uh, working super hard this entire time that Bland's been on sabbatical. Uh, so if you see them, give them a hug, thank them, bring them a meal, offer to watch their kids. It'd be really great. Um, let me just start with a, a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, our time together. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to reflect on your word, um, to walk away with a richer understanding of what you've called us to do. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would see the people around us um, more deeply, more clearly uh, as you see them. Amen. Everyone kept asking me if I was nervous, and I said, I'm good, I'm good. Now I'm up here, and I'm like, ooh, a lot of people out here. Um, If you've ever lived in a place with a highly transient population like here, uh, you'll eventually run into someone that just adores where they came from. Uh, They'll extol the closeness of their past small group. Uh, They'll speak about how people were so welcoming. Uh, Maybe they, they saw, you know, organic initiatives that just took root and grow. Um, everything there was amazing, uh, but maybe everything here, they pay too much money to live in a place that's cold and unwelcoming. Uh, everybody is too busy to care about the stuff they care about, and they feel isolated and lonely uh, because this community is just not what they hoped for. And my honest self says, it's hard to hear that. Uh, it can hurt, and sometimes it feels more damaging than inspiring. But I do get it. Uh, When we've had a taste of good community, we can't give it up. Uh, We long for it. Uh, So here in Koa, where all of us are coming from different places, uh, I think we all come with hopes and longings of what we want community to look like. And community, uh, as you just heard, is a core value of Koa. So this next month, we're going to explore a little more in depth uh, what that means, how it sometimes goes awry, Uh, and what the value should mean for our own selves. Uh, We're calling it Life Together. We'll have a week on living together hospitably, uh, really just having that posture of welcome in your life, whether it's structures, your attitude. Um, We'll have a week on letting the gospel pervade our conversations together, even if they sometimes get a little uncomfortable. Uh, We'll also have a week on living together through conflict and resolution. Um, But today... uh, we're going to spend our time thinking about life together as the church, uh, namely people that have um, called themselves to be, or <laughs> have been called to be Christ followers, right? We are committed to him um, and maybe even a little bit more expectation for those of us that have made a covenant to one another, right? Um, and if you think this topic is fluffy, uh, I would say know that Jesus prayed specifically for our unity, And not just that we'd get along, but that our unity would be like the unity he has with the Father. Uh, It's unlike any other. Uh, In fact, we're told that one of the identifying marks of being Christ followers is our love for one another, which means that the way we love each other is pretty distinct. And it must look different here than what the world sees out there. Um, Our main passage today is Colossians 3, 5 through 17. 
think it'll be up on the screen. You can pull it out and read along. I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge uh, after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, It's an odd turn of phrase to put part of ourselves to death, uh, but I think we actually kind of do this somewhat commonly. Um, if you've ever had friends uh, see one of your childhood photos, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're me, uh, those photos might show a 90s emo kid with an angsty glare, an unfortunate haircut, and clothes that surprisingly might be back in fashion right now. Uh, but when others see those photos, right, we're immediately explaining, oh, that was a different era in our lives, I was still figuring things out. Maybe I read a philosophy book and suddenly thought I was the most clear-headed in the room, to be oddly specific. Uh, So I think we all have these parts of us that we rightfully are trying to put off as we grow up. However, what Paul is saying is don't stop with childish follies. Go further. Look for the evil that is within us. And then with the same abandon that we have for hiding those photos and explaining them away, put off that evil, put it to death. I think we sometimes like to embrace the gentleness and the kindness of scripture more than the images of intensity and warfare. But when it comes to sin, we actually need to suit up. We need to consider the armor of God in this imagery, and we need to go to war with our sin and put it to death. Sin isn't just the foibles of childhood. It's evilness that lets us think sitting in anger is okay, that speaking harshly to or about other people is just how we speak. It's thinking there's something other than Jesus that is worthy of our worship, and that needs to die. But I did say that this passage was about community, and it is because sin is ultimately what wrecks our community. It's our sin that says our needs and desires are more important than others. If if covetousness is an idol, putting something we desire above Jesus How easy is it to put the same sort of desire above our brothers or sisters here? If I can covet something as non-eternal as a little extra square footage in my house, how much easier is it 
to put my idea of what deep, satisfying community should do over what others think it should do. Our relentless push for community that has fun the way I do, worships the way I love, that prioritizes the things that I want prioritized, will eventually just push it apart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. I love that quote. I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks now. So good. Mike shared it. So good. We don't have to stop dreaming about community. Um, We do need to put aside our dream of community and look at the people the Lord has placed around us. Consider what the Lord wants for the people beside you in this room. Do you want an idea of community or do you want this community? Do you want to be in the community with these people? City on a Hill isn't just an abstract identity or entity, it's us. I'd say think of your CG leader, think of Bland, think of our children. Do you just want a community that does stuff this way or that way? Or do you want to build the community God placed you in with that person that's right next to you this morning? I'm tempted to make you look at the person next to you, but I won't. Uh, I think it's helpful to understand that when this passage was written, Community and identity were more tightly wound together than they are today. Uh, So I think that's why Paul states it like this, that not only must we put our sin to death, but we must also surrender our old identities. In verse 11, he says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Talking about ethnic identities, religious identities, economic identities. These were not just different political leanings, kind of like we see right now. These were folks that wouldn't even eat together. They often despised each other. And he was calling them to surrender those identities. And I think it's why we often say phrases like gospel-centered community. That's how we caveat this idea of community. We are the body of Christ first not our demographic subset or even our theological distinctive. I want to be careful here. Don't confuse a trait for an identity. You may be reformed or egalitarian, uh, but here in this body, your identity is that you are in Christ. You may be Southern or Korean or highly educated, but here in this body, your identity is that Christ is in you. It is our relationship with Christ that conveys our identity. And not just vertically, but horizontally, we collectively are the body of Christ. Some parts of our body might have a bit more color, some parts a bit more mobile, some parts protect others while others need protecting. These are our traits, they are not our identity. Notice that our member covenant, for those of you that have taken member class or been members. It's not about affirming all of our distinctives like complementarianism or elder-led leadership. It's about believing the gospel and then loving each other out of that gospel. When we only want a room to look like us, to think like us, to dress like us, we've abandoned our identity as children of God and instead become children of culture and preference. Some of our brothers and sisters come here every week, lay down their cultural preferences, 
listen to a sermon that's not in their native tongue, sit with people that are maybe even less relationally comfortable to themselves for the sake of the glory of God. But what about the rest of us? How often are we stepping away from people that behave according to our preferences to be with brothers and sisters who just love Jesus? When we really see our church this way, that we are in Christ and Christ in us, I think we can then put the care and needs of others first, even at the sacrifice of ourselves. Again, Paul takes us further in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, when he's talking to uh, Christians that were suing each other. He says to them, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? He's not just talking about competing preferences. He's saying even in the face of being wronged, when among fellow believers, it's better to bear their sin. Our brokenness will surely exact a cost on us. But grace isn't giving deference to others when they deserve it. It's giving it when they never have. Jesus sacrificed for us, even though we never deserved it. All right, stay with me. Because as daunting as dying to ourselves seems, Paul again keeps pushing further. He calls us to then love one another in some pretty specific and expansive ways. In verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think it's easy for us to take the struggles we have within like career, maybe dating culture or consumerism, this idea that it's just constantly striving against ideas and practices and this mindset that everything is just a struggle. And then we can come back and engage church with that same sort of disposition. But I think these verses paint a different sort of picture, a different sort of person. I don't think it's a weak person. In fact, I think it takes a sharp mind to know how to demonstrate kindness to others, to understand their experiences, their personality, their expectations, and then meet them with something that actually feels like kindness. That can actually be pretty difficult. Uh, Abby and I spent some time in Germany, and we found this interesting dynamic in polite gatherings, say like a church small group. Um, when Germans agree with an idea, uh, they tend to do so quietly. When they disagree, they'll be more vocal about it. But us Americans, when we agree with something, so good, thank you for sharing, I love that, it's great, right? But when we disagree, someone else gonna say something about that? I don't know, interesting, right? Uh, obviously, we know many exceptions, but to understand how kindness might be expressed, we must first understand how expression happens at all. I would say this week, maybe even after the service, ask someone at COA, like, what makes them feel comfortable when they're meeting someone new? For me, I, I love a personal invitation. It feels kind to me. I understand the, everyone is welcome to this thing, but I really love it when someone's just like, hey, Jeff, do you want to come? Feels kind to me. 
Similarly, to put on a compassionate heart also requires understanding. It implies that I know what burdens you're carrying. If I ask, what do you do? And you say you're a doctor or a lawyer. And my first thought is, oh, well, you must be doing pretty well. I think I've missed the mark. If I want to show compassion, I should probably consider what sorts of stress might accompany such a career. What costs have you paid to arrive here today? Should I just assume that because you're young and single, you have, that you're healthy, that you have lots of free time? Or perhaps should I be curious and discover that the burdens you presently bear are anything but youthful? Consequently, I think when we encounter another's brokenness, we for sure, and we for sure will, talk about that more in coming weeks, a compassionate heart helps us bear with one another. When we know, when I know you're carrying a burden, I'm not so upset when you bump into me. Um, I don't want to paint a transactional picture, though. I don't want us to think that, well, only if I understand someone else's suffering will I then be able to show them compassion. Um, grace must also lead us here. In Luke, we see that denying ourselves and taking up our cross is a daily endeavor, and one that if we're not doing it, we can't even call ourselves Jesus' followers. I think this means that brokenness of others is not theirs alone to bear. In your time here at COA, there is a high probability that you may be disappointed, wronged, or hurt. Someone may unfairly treat you with suspicion, completely misplace expectations on you, or even just say something hurtful to you. But grace lets us respond to someone's brokenness with compassion. Not just because we might understand what suffering is behind it, but because bearing with one another patiently waiting for their renewal is exactly the sort of picture Christ, of Christ that lets the world know who it is we follow. To see grace in the face of sin is the most provocative image I can think of for those who don't know Jesus. Now, bearing a burden like that, that is not yours, isn't easy or pleasant, um, but I think that's also why we are called to put on humility and meekness. Humility being that we have a right understanding of ourselves. Again, that we are truly broken. We have real evil inside of us. And that needs to be put to death. Meekness then is just humility in the context of others. Like not having a hint of thinking myself greater than others. So the reality of our own sin suddenly makes it more bearable to endure the sin of others. And I do want to clarify here some might think that this means they have to be a quiet little flower that never says anything. And you're like, that's impossible. Why would God make me this way? So full of conviction and emotion and passion, not like the kind Paul is saying at the beginning, but the other kind, the strong devotion for something that's, that's totally fine. Good. Even many of you have this sort of passion for very good things. Indeed, I passionately want you to walk away this morning with a deeper conviction to be gracious to one another, to give of yourselves when others don't deserve it. But if in our passion, we have not left space for others, that they may not feel convicted the same way we're convicted, that they don't want the same things we want. If we have trampled on their convictions or freedoms, 
this sort of passion has become foolish. We've considered ourselves greater, and we are no longer walking in meekness. So above all of this, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Without love, we could attempt all of this, but it wouldn't be sufficient. As Bonhoeffer said, it's the person who loves those around them that creates community. Our love for one another makes these things make sense. Kindness without love feels shallow. To bear with another, that feels begrudgingly without love. But with love, they're beautiful. And it's not just these characteristics that I think are bound together. I think it's, it's us too. He's saying everything is bound together in love. So we have a lot of musicians that could probably describe perfect harmony to us, but I know for sure myself that at least it's not a bunch of the same notes playing together, right? So in love, we see that our differences are our complements rather than our opposition, that we are richer together than we are apart. It's in love that we can present a picture of Christ to the world that is beautiful and true. If I'm honest with you, the picture feels a little lofty um, and I can be quick myself to feel a little defeated. Um, but that's only when, it, when I think it's a matter of will or self-discipline. But with Christ, this all becomes possible. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we let Christ dwell in us and rule in our hearts, we can be confident that his spirit will be a revelatory force in our lives. Though sin separates us, the spirit can help us understand one another. And I want to dig into this. When we have the spirit within us, we don't have to chalk up our lesser experiences with one another to personality differences or cultural misses. We can know that our brothers and sisters who are reaching out in kindness, are really, we can feel that. We can really see that the love they have for us Right? Let me say it like this. Maybe you don't like hiking. <laughs> or maybe a gathering without food is just like unfathomable and bewildering to you. Um, but this, with the Spirit's help, I think we can see not just the action that's conveyed, but the heart and the motive behind it. And not just intellectually. With the Spirit's help, I think we can actually feel loved in ways that are new to us. Maybe you have no idea why someone keeps hurting you, perhaps even in the same way over and over again. But with the Spirit's help, you can see both your own brokenness and their brokenness and patiently bear with them while they too are being renewed. When the Spirit reveals to us the hearts of our brothers and sisters, he is simply revealing more of himself. It's where he dwells in their hearts. Perhaps this then is the sort of unity Jesus was praying for, that the spirit in me revealing the spirit in you 
is actually the same spirit. And that Jesus who reveals the father to us is the same God. Lastly, um, I want to end with this in the midst of all these verses towards the end. Uh, I kind of feel like it's Paul remembered to tell the scribe. Oh yeah. Tell them to be thankful. It's also, essential. he just kind of throws it in there. Be thankful. Um, Abby and I have been active members in six different congregations, which says we've probably moved too much in our lives. Um, They've all had beautiful and broken bits, but I am so thankful for Koa. Thankful for you here. I am thankful for those of you that have worn with me when I lacked understanding. I'm thankful for those of you who pointed out the broken bits with kindness and gentleness. I'm really thankful for those of you who sacrificed your time, even your comfort to welcome my family into yours. And I'm so thankful for a God who sacrificed himself, even though we don't deserve it. Let's close in prayer. Father, Would you help us to be gracious to each other? When we read this call to put our sin to death, it feels impossible. But Lord, we know with your spirit, um, you can renew us, you can restore us. It's really hard, Lord, to bump into the sin of each other all the time, to be hurt to be misunderstood, to misspeak and make mistakes and just constantly go through this, uh, this mire of brokenness with each other. But Lord, it is beautiful. It is messy, but beautiful. Um, Lord, help us to be gracious, to be willing to be patient and wait for each other as we are all being renewed and restored. Would you help us love each other in ways that go beyond what we are perhaps familiar with? and help us to receive the love and kindness that others want to extend to us, even if it's ways that we are unfamiliar with. And Lord, would you ultimately, out of our love for each other, build a community that is beautiful? Would you build a community that um, reflects your love for Brookline, for Boston? Lord, we want our community to be so beautiful that other people have to stop and ask, what is going on? Who is it that these people love? Why do they love each other so deeply? Lord, we love you so deeply. We want a community that is compelling, full of truth, helps us carry each other's burdens, share each other's joys. No matter how lofty it seems to us, Lord, we know that with your spirit, this is possible. So Lord, please, this is what we're asking. We want this sort of community. We want this sort of relationship with you. Amen.